Good morning, everybody. How's it going today? Wave at me a little bit. Yeah. How many of you are enjoying a little bit of this liquid sunshine we get here in Eugene? I haven't broken out my canoe joke in a long time, so uh, I won't break it out today. We'll just leave that one aside. Okay, I'll tell it. How many of you came here today in a canoe? It's kind of fun, right? It's tradition. Tradition. Well, good to see you guys. How many of you enjoy being a Blazers fan? Any guys in the house watch the Blazers lose in the playoffs? It's just, that's tradition as well, right? I remember being a kid and we had Clyde the Glide, Clyde Drexler, come on somebody, uh, Terry Porter, all these guys. And of course, Michael Jordan had to be uh, playing basketball at that time. And so the Blazers, we always come in second. And in basketball, that's not good, apparently. Uh, but we're excited to be here today, excited for church. Are you excited to be encouraged this morning by the Word of God and excited to be in His presence? How many of you love coming to church on Sunday? I love it. I love being with my fellow believers, my friends and family. Get connected, get donuts, get coffee. The Holy Spirit is in this place today. You know who else is in this place today is my parents. Can we wave at them over here? Wave at them up here. So you've, you've all heard the stories about my Sicilian mom, and there she is in the flesh, and she's made meatballs for all of us, right, Mom? I told you. No, I'm kidding. But, <laughs> but I have to be nice today. I have to, I have to speak uh, well. Uh, I'm nervous already in front of my mom because she was my teacher in homeschool, and she's my mom, and you know how it goes. You got you to gotta put on your best for your mama, right? Yeah, so we're excited to have them here. They are really the reason that uh, I exist, honestly, and also the reason that our church exists. They're pastoring Joy Church Medford, and they went and planted Joy Church Medford in 1982. Yeah. And then things really started to pick up when I was born in 84. That's when, the, when it really started to pick up, the energy and all that. But, you know, before that, they just slogged through those two years and, until I got there to help and make everything worse. So anyways, we're jumping in today. We're, we're in a series called Rocket Fuel. And how many of you were here last week for the start of that series? And we were encouraged last week by that. We're, we're talking about how to have a real relationship with God. And last week, we just unpacked the concept that by yourself, you're not much, right? You're not really going to do a whole lot in life. But with Christ, with Jesus, you are the righteousness of God. With Jesus, you are capable of doing and being all that God's called you to do and all that he's called you to be right? With Jesus. So we're talking about being connected and learning how to access God in real relationship. And so we're going to move forward with that today. And today we're going to talk all about prayer. Now prayer is a, is a great topic and prayer is interesting because I find that for many people they feel under-equipped and sort of unqualified and, and like I don't have the knowledge I need or, or know, the, know what to say. I don't know how to pray. How many of you have ever felt under-equipped when it comes to prayer or having a relationship with God? I remember uh, kind of the reason I wrote the book Rocket Fuel that we're, we're using in this series uh, was because I had this conversation with a, a really sweet woman one time, and she was start joining the church, and I sat down with her, and I said something about my time of daily devotions, and she was like, well, what's that? So I said, well, it's my time in the morning where I just read my Bible and I pray, and she goes, well, that sounds great, but I don't know how to pray. And this was a lady that actually had been following Jesus for a significant amount of time. And it hit me in that moment. Wow, she's missing so much. This is so sad that she doesn't know what prayer is or know how to pray because prayer is simply communicating with God. It's talking and it's listening. It's communicating with God. And I realized, man, if she feels this way, probably a lot of people feel this way. And I know I felt under-equipped in my life in a lot of different areas. That's what being a man is all about, right? You just you feel under-equipped. That's why you get married. So you're like, can you tell me what to wear? 
Can you, can you help me learn how to eat healthy? You, you don't eat cheeseburgers every day. That's not how it works in life. And your wife just says, no, I'll teach you. I got you. It's okay. But I, have you ever felt under-equipped in life and like unqualified? And I remember when uh, feeling just totally helpless when Bethany and I had our first daughter, Evie. And uh, Evie now is this amazing six-year-old girl. She's tall. I mean, I put my hand up here. She's going to probably play for the ducks and dunk on people because she's tall. But Evie, when she was first born, we had her at this beautiful birth center in Medford. And I remember that we're there, and it was this wonderful experience. And I mean, for me, I mean, Bethany might have had a different experience, <laughs> potentially. So she has the baby, and we're there at this birth center. And it was like being at a resort. I mean, they gave Bethany a massage, and the midwife said, hey, um, I was thinking of getting some ice cream this one night. And we're like, I could go for some ice cream, chocolate peanut butter, please. And so she goes and gets this ice cream. They were ordering food in. I mean, it was like magic. And so we're there, and they're, they're showing Bethany how to feed the baby, and they're teaching us how to hold her and all this kind of stuff. And it was this magical experience. You're like, well, I, had a, I don't know how we got into this experience, but we did. It was this birth center that we were at. It was incredible. And then after a few days, they said, well, guess what? Today you get to go home. <laughs> what? No, we live here now you help us keep this little thing alive. Like, I don't know how to keep a baby alive. You can't make me go home. And they're like, no, you actually do have to leave. Yeah, you paid the money to stay here, but you actually do need to leave. And I felt like, man, we can't do this, right? I felt unequipped. Like, I didn't know how to keep a baby alive. And I was freaked out. If you had this experience when you have child, when you have kids, totally freaked out to keep the baby alive. And then our midwife is like, well, let me show you how to put the, uh, the car seat in. And, and I go in and I kind of like weak sauce it and pull it. And she's like, no. You need to really tighten that thing in there. And, and I'm like, well, I, don't, I can't do it. And she goes, okay, I'm not doing this as your healthcare provider. I'm doing this as your friend. And she gets in and she herks on it. And just, she's a strong midwife, right? And so she just, she is the large woman. She's a Viking woman. So she gets in there and just, and ties it down. And then I remember us, we get in our, we have an SUV. It's basically the kind of SUV they use to protect the president, uh, armored and everything. And so we're in the, our SUV and I remember going like 10 miles an hour, I think on the freeway with Evie because totally freaked out, right? And then by the time we had Penny, our, our third baby, we were in the birth center. It was like four hours. We leave. We stop at Dutch Brothers on the way home. <laughs> you know, I'm just like, we've done this before. We, we know how durable kids are. I mean, you can just drop kids, bounce, they bounce. I mean, it's amazing, right? Uh, by the time we got to Penny, you know, we were at Dutch Brothers. We're like, what are you guys doing today? I'm like, she had a baby. Uh, she'll also have a latte. I'm just, you know, I'm just dadding it. I'm going to go home, just watch some sports, I guess. I don't know. And uh, by the time we got to Penny, we, we had it. But it's, it's totally okay when you're a brand new parent to, to feel and to admit, hey, I'm, I'm unequipped. I don't know what I need to do. I don't have what it takes to accomplish this. And, and I need help. Come on. And it's okay in your spiritual life to say, you know what? Maybe I've been following Jesus for a period of time, but I don't know how to pray. And maybe you're like, well, I understand that prayer is communication with God. And I, I guess I understand that you, you, know, you sort of kneel down and you sort of say things like, now I lay me down to sleep. Uh, you know, pray the Lord my soul to keep. And, and you kind of have an idea of prayer, but it's okay to admit that like, you know, honestly, I don't really understand this prayer thing. I don't understand this relationship with God thing. And just to kind of prove this point, I hope encourage you today. Do you know that Jesus' disciples actually did not know how to pray? And this isn't before Jesus has called them to be his disciples. This is after. It says in, in Luke chapter 11, and this actually cracks me up. In Luke chapter 11, 
this little vignette, this little story about Jesus and his disciples. And it says here in Luke 11, verse one, one day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. Now I want you to imagine, these are Jesus' disciples. It's his posse, it's his entourage, his group of guys. He's already called them uh, to follow him. They've already seen miracles. They've already experienced the ministry and power of Jesus. And so they're, they're with Jesus. And now they see Jesus praying. And you know what? When people are faking it until they make it, this is what I imagine these guys are doing. They're all sitting there and they're, they're like watching Jesus. And there's Jesus and he's like got this prayer posture. Like I imagine like this or something really epic. You know what I mean? He's just praying. I know, probably not. But Jesus is doing something. So Jesus is there and he's praying and maybe Jesus is down there and he's got kind of, you know, you see people like real, real pray, praying people. They always have like this movement. You know what I mean? Like they, they look cool when they do it. It's like, man, that rocking back and forth is really doing something in the spiritual realm. And they have a certain way they hold their hands. Not like this. It's like this, right? You can squirt water with it and it also connects you with God. And, they, and then there's a certain way you clench your face when you pray, right? It's a cross between surgery and pooping. It's a certain way that you, you cross your... And so it's this certain intensity. Sorry, everybody. So it's a certain intensity... Uh, that you do. And, and so we see this, right? And so Jesus is praying and he's there and he's got his, he's praying and he's intense and he's, he's praying amazing things. And I imagine his disciples are over there sort of like, and they're trying to do this thing, right? And they're trying to pray and, and, and they're like, no, shut up, Peter, shut up. No, that's not what he said. No, why are you talking like a knight right now? Stop saying thou. We don't, that's not how you do it. Jesus doesn't say thou. That's not how we pray. He said something about bread. He said something about, what do you mean? Do we pray for bread? And they're just there and they're taught and they're, right? And so finally, one of them says, okay, guys, we look like idiots. We're Jesus' disciples. We should look at least like we know what we're doing. So they, they probably got Peter and, you know, they pushed him out there. Peter, you're always putting your foot in your mouth. You go talk to Jesus and say, Jesus, John's disciples know how to pray. John's disciples look cool. They know how to get that right level of intensity when they pray. They know how to fold their hands. John's disciples understand how to pray. Will you teach us how to pray? And Jesus says, absolutely. He says, sure, I'll teach you how to pray. And I want to tell you what Jesus told them. I want to give you this master class on what Jesus taught his disciples to do. He taught them what to say. He gave them a template for prayer But understand that if Jesus' disciples didn't even know how to pray and they had to ask him, it's fine for us to say, you know what, I'm under-equipped. I maybe don't totally know everything that it takes to connect with God, and that's fine to admit that, isn't it? It's fine to say, you know what, I want to learn, I want to grow, and I want to understand this prayer thing. Because prayer is absolutely life-changing. Prayer is incredible. Prayer is the mechanism by which God wants to change you and have a relationship with you and then the mechanism by which he wants to communicate with you and drop his treasures and his hope and encouragement and his, his, his objectives and his mission into your heart. Come on, prayer is an amazing thing. God uses prayer to change the world. God uses prayer to change circumstances. God uses prayer to heal people of diseases. God uses prayer. And so we want to learn how to pray. But before we get into what Jesus said, I want to go through a couple of principles about prayer real quick. Number one, we need to know that prayer is simply communication with God. Prayer is communicating with God. Now, I don't know about you, but if you perhaps have had a religious experience or upbringing, you might see prayer as more of a ritual, as more of something that you have to do in order to please God or make God accept you. And that's not what it is. Prayer is communication with God. 
Or you might say that prayer is, well, I have to say these certain words in a certain way. I have to say thee and thou and thou art and all these kind of things. Art, you can say thou art, but nobody else can, you know. <laughs> if your first name is not sir, do not talk like this. Thou art thy God, I do declare. If your first name is sir, like you are actually a knight, you're free to talk that way. But if it's not, don't say that. That's a funnier joke than you're giving me credit for. All right, prayer is communication. <laughs> With God, it's just talking with God and listening to God, hearing his heart. It's speaking and listening. Now, this is why prayer is so important when it comes to your relationship with God. If, you, if you're married or just any relationship you have, you know that communication is the thermometer of your relationships. In a marriage, you know, with Bethany and I, we have a, a wonderful marriage because she's wonderful and I'm trying to get to that level. Um, when our communication goes sideways, when our communication goes south, the relationship goes south, right? How are you doing today? Fine. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Do you want to talk about it? No, <laughs> I'm fine. Oh, really? Freaked out, insecure, neurotic, and emotional, right? Fine. Uh, when, when, when your communication goes south, when communication is, is tense, when it's awkward. Like that's what makes relationships suffer, isn't it? And if the communication is off, everything is off. Now think about our relationship with God. It's a real relationship. And so if your communication is off, the relationship is off. And prayer is simply communication with God. Number two thing we need to understand about prayer is that prayer is the mechanism by which God wants to change us. The mechanism by which God wants to to do something in us specifically. He uses prayer to change us. He uses prayer to fuel us with his spirit. He uses it to connect with us. In John 15, 5, we looked at this verse last week. Jesus says, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. When you're not in a communicative relationship with God, when there's not this, this moment of prayer, this time where you speak and, and listen to God you're missing that connection with him and, and you're not going to be able to do anything. You'll have no fruit, right? So God uses prayer to change us. God wants to talk to you. Now, a lot of people say things like, I want to learn how to pray because I want to hear the voice of the Lord. I want to hear God's voice. I want him to speak to me. I want him to talk to me. But there's a little part of us in the very back that doesn't actually want that because what is God going to say to me? The thing I've found about God is that you, sort, you can't get close to him and hear him and let him speak into your life and stay the same. And so if you're comfortable in mediocrity, if you're comfortable in sin, if you're comfortable in depression and discouragement, if you're comfortable in the mud kind of of your human condition, stay away from God because if you get close to him, things will change. So I want to warn you today. Hey, I want to encourage you to pray, but I also want to warn you that if you begin to access God in prayer, God speaks to people. Let me just tell you a story. The other day I was, I was at home and Thursdays is a day for me that I study and just spend time uh, uh, kind of alone in my introvert moment, you know, just in my office at home and seeking God and so on and so forth. And I had this whole day of preparation and vision and strategizing and all kinds of stuff. And I love to work. I, I, I love it. I love my job. I'm so grateful that, that I get to be the pastor of the church. I love it. And I'm excited for my day of work. And I, I was getting out of the shower and I'm praying and I'm just thanking the Lord for the day. And he just speaks something to me. He just says, I don't want you to work today. And I'm like, what? And you know, you have those moments where you decide, out, you know, I shouldn't argue with God. But you, you sort of are in your head. And I know he can see that. So I'm like, get out of my head, you know. 
Um, it says he sticks closer, than, he's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. I remember having a brother. I didn't always want him that by me. You know, get out of here, Johnny, you know, beat it, scram. But God is right there. And I, he says to me, I just feel this impression. He's speaking to me. Don't work today. I want you to spend time with me. I want you to just spend time with me. And I have all these wonderful ideas and plans that I'm going to work on. This delightful day of introverted productivity. And some of you can understand my sheer delight in this. Others of you are like, I need people, not me. So the Lord just says, I want to spend time with you. And I remember I had to like, there was this tension at this moment where I'm like, I don't want to obey. I don't want to give up time. I have things to get done. Now think about how ridiculous this is. This is the God of heaven and earth who wants to talk to me, who wants to spend time with me. And I'm like wrestling because I want to go work. But, but I said, okay, Lord, I'm going to obey you. And I went into the living room and I just spent time with the Lord in prayer. And God did speak some amazing things to me. And there was a great time. God uses prayer. Don't pray unless you want to change. Don't pray unless you want God to, touch, to speak to you. But be ready that when he speaks to you, if God says something, then you can't just say, oh, I don't know. I don't, I don't know what God wants me to do because he's going to talk to you. And he's going to tell you things about your life. And he's going to say, you know, uh, daughter, you know, son, this, this room that's in the, 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 the house of your heart, this space in your life, you need to open that door and let me inside. And you're not going to like that. It's going to be uncomfortable, but God's going to use it to change you from the inside out. God uses prayer to change us. It's that communication, staying connected. Number three, God doesn't just use prayer to change you. It's not just you and God and this relationship with God. God uses prayer to change the world. God uses prayer to change circumstances. It says in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, Then if my people who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and restore their land. Listen, prayer is the mechanism and the means by which God wants to act for his redemptive purposes in the earth. You know, here's what I, what I see a lot of in, in Christians. You know, we, we like to complain. We're good at shouting out and saying, the dark, this is dark, this is darkness, this is what's wrong with the world. We should spend a lot less time declaring what's wrong and spend a lot more time on our knees praying for God to bring restoration to the land. Come on, instead of telling the Democrats or the Republicans what's wrong with them, instead of telling people that voted for this person or people that voted for that person what's wrong with them and how stupid they are, what if, what if we said, you know what? I'm gonna get on my knees and I'm gonna cry out to God for restoration in the land. I guarantee you that putting our petitions in and our relationship with God in prayer is gonna do a lot more than us getting mad at each other and fighting against people that aren't really our enemies, right? Prayer changes things. Prayer is one of the means through which God chooses to act. Listen to what William Temple said. He said, when I pray, coincidences happen, and when I don't, they don't. When I pray, coincidences happen. When I don't, they don't. I can tell you from firsthand experience that it is through prayer that God has done many miracles, not just in my life personally, but in uh, my circumstances. I remember even in the, in the time when, when Bethany and I were deciding, are we going to stay in Eugene? Or are we going to go somewhere else? Or are we going to plant our church? That there was prayer that was offered up to God. God, guide us, direct us, show us what to do. And the Lord moved supernaturally to bring wisdom and bring direction. And God did, he moved. And th this church exists because of prayer, right? God chooses prayer 
to act. Listen, you have nothing to lose when you will engage God in prayer and say, God, I'm going to ask you to heal this person. God, I'm going to ask you to save this person. God, I'm going to ask you in prayer to change the circumstances. God, I'm going to ask. The worst thing that could happen is that it just stays the same. But listen, when I pray, William Temple says, coincidences happen when I don't, they don't. Wayne Gretzky, that great prophet of the Lord, he said, that great mulleted man, he said, 100% of the shots I don't take don't go in. 100% of the prayers you don't pray don't get answered. And listen to this. Let me encourage you. Pray bold prayers. Pray bold prayers. If, look back at your week and, and say, if my prayers had been answered, the prayers that I prayed this last week, if they'd been answered, what would be the, what would be the reality today? For a lot of us, we, our food would not be poisoned and we'd have a good parking spot. That'd be it. I love it. Some people are more passionate about praying for their food than praying for lost people to know Jesus. You, you didn't pray for your food. Yeah, but I was praying for the lost people to be saved. I'm sorry that I ate a cheeseburger and it wasn't blessed. Oh my God, I'm going to die. No, you're probably okay. Come on. You know what I'm saying? Well, I, I, Lord Jesus, I pray for this parking spot to open up. You need to watch John Christ looking for a parking space on YouTube. Just look it up. You'll love it. You know, Jesus, help me get the parking space. And we get the parking space. And now we get to be 19 inches closer to Target than if we just parked in another spot. And we go, man, I'm so glad God answers my prayers. Praise the Lord. No, come on, pray bold prayers. Pray bold prayers. Ask God to change things. Ask God to move in your family. Ask God to, to move in your relationships. Pray bold prayers. So what did Jesus tell us? Man, if you're excited about prayer, listen, Jesus wants to give you a masterclass on how to pray. His disciples said, Jesus, teach us how to pray. John's disciples, they know how to do it. Teach us how to pray. He says, okay, listen. Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. This is Matthew's recounting of what Jesus told them. He says, Matthew 6, verse 9, this then is how you should pray. Everybody listen in, lean in, because Jesus is going to drop something cool right here. He says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, how many of you have heard these words before? It's what is known as the Lord's Prayer because it's Jesus' prayer that he taught his disciples. Now, I want you to do your very best to eliminate all of the kind of training and programming that you have about this prayer because oftentimes the way we take the Lord's Prayer is something that we sort of mutter or that we read on plaques in people's bathrooms, right? You go into like somebody's house and then there's like the Lord's Prayer on a bathroom plaque and precious moments and there's Jesus and he's got lambs and you know what I'm talking about. So try to remove this because this prayer is absolutely powerful. It's not just sort of this thing that you kind of mumble and mutter in a religious way. This is Jesus saying, look, you want me to teach you how to pray? Listen, let me give you uh, this content so that you will know not just exactly what to say, not just so you can repeat it, but he's giving us a template for prayer, something that we can sort of hang our prayer life on and understand what's going, uh, understand the sequence of this. Now, I want to break this prayer down into what I call the four W's. And you can read about this in the Rocket Fuel book as well, but I want to just give you a quick little lesson on this. The four W's in this prayer, it's worship, will, welfare, and warfare. And I want to, I want to, I want us to look at this template of these four W's and what Jesus teaches, uh, teaches us, how the sequence of the prayer and the content of the prayer and the themes that are in this prayer can shape us to be powerful in our prayer life. Now, what's interesting to me is the way that Jesus starts the prayer is significant. 
the sequence of Jesus' prayer as he's teaching his disciples and by extension teaching us is interesting because when I start praying, typically the first thing I do is I say, oh Jesus, please forgive me for all the bad things I did yesterday, right? Or I pray things like, Lord, give me the parking spot. Oh God, would you give me a million dollars? Like I pray that quite a bit. You know, just let it fall on me from the sky. Not one big bundle of it, but you know, floating like it shows in movies. You know, Jesus, will you answer my prayers? Will you heal this? Will you do this? Will you, and we bring our petitions to God or we bring repentance to God. And that's okay, but listen to the way Jesus starts it. He doesn't start it with us asking God for something. He starts it with worship. He says, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name, saying, may your name be kept holy. This word just means, God, let your name be elevated and exalted. It starts with worship. The way that we should approach God in prayer is not from a posture of our own unworthiness. Oh, I'm such a worthless person, and God, I'm nothing, and I'm such a sinner, and so I, I come before you crawling like a worm. Only half of a worm. I've been split, but worms can split and still do things, which is weird. But God, I come to you, and you know, you know what I mean? We do this, don't we? God, I crawl to you weak and ashamed and naked, and I slide across the floor and approach your holiness, and that's how we come to God. And Jesus says, come on, don't do that. Don't come to God in this posture of weakness and, and unworthiness. You don't think God knows you're unworthy. He knows. He, he sees you, right? The Lord sees you, everything about you, whether you think he sees it or not. Jesus says, don't pray that way. You come first in worship. We should always begin with worship. We should always begin. As we approach God, it should just be about him and how amazing he is recognizing God for who he is and recognizing him for what he's done. Before we bring our petitions or repentance, we should bring praise. Listen to what Pastor Rick Warren says. He says, why should I praise God? Because it gets my focus off of myself and onto God. So I can talk to him and not at him. That's why we start with praise. Why do we start with praise? Because what we say is in prayer, it's not about me and this selfish thing of putting a quarter in the God vending machine and getting God stuff out, right? It's not this transactional relationship with God. It's a real relationship where I care about him. I'm coming to him in a place, in a posture of worship. Oh God, my father, let your name be kept. Holy Lord, you are amazing. God, you're awesome. And I worship you this morning. When I come before you in prayer, God, I just want to say that I am amazed by you, by your beauty, by your presence and all you've done for me. Jesus says, start with worship. And then it goes to the will of the Lord. The second part of the prayer is, uh, your kingdom come, your will be done. After we worship, Jesus teaches us to pray that God gets what God wants done, which is recognizing that in prayer, it, uh, there's like the relationship is not exactly equal here. How many of you think that actually God getting his priority list accomplished during the day is probably more important than me getting my priority list accomplished, right? I'm like, well, Jake Schmelzer's uh, wish list, priority list for the day. Here's my to-do list. I think if God gets his done, Things are going to be better for everybody than if I get mine done. And so we come to God and worship, and then we come and say, God, what do you want to get done today? God, what do you want to accomplish in the world? I was talking with somebody recently, and they said, hey, I want to know what I should read every day in the Bible so that I can kind of figure out my day and so on and so forth. I said, listen, that's, that's, a, that's okay, but really what we should do is not read the Bible to find help for our day, we should read the Bible so that God can change us from the inside out so we can more connect with what he wants to do, what he wants to accomplish. So we come 
to this place and say, Lord, your will be done. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Then it, and then it moves, third, to praying for our physical and our spiritual needs, to, this, to our welfare. And Jesus places our petitions for asking God for things and our, and our prayer for forgiveness, he places it third in order here, which I find to be very interesting. Our physical needs for food, for shelter, for provision, and our spiritual need for forgiveness are actually pretty far down the list, not because they're unimportant to God, but because God has you in his hands. You're fine, right? That's why Jesus says, don't worry. I command you, do not worry. In Philippians 4, 6, Paul says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. The Lord, you don't come to God and, and say immediately, oh God, this is what I need. And this, I please ask you to forgive me. The reason is because you, you worship him first. You, you pray for his will to be done because he already knows what you need, right? And he's going to give it to you. So putting it third shows trust and humility and an expectation and a belief that God is a good father and that he's going to provide for you but we're still told to pray for these things. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, or just even last week, um, can I share that story, Shannon, just about your blessing that you got? Is that okay? All right, so my, Shannon here, our drummer, yeah, rocking Shannon, he, he needed a car, and there was a, a circumstance that had taken place where his car was rendered useless. And uh, he came to me and he said, man, I'm, I'm, I need a car. And we talked about it. I said, man, you're honoring the Lord with your finances. Let's just pray right now and say, God, Bring it on, bless him, give it to him. He sends me a message, what, three days later? Two days later. Actually, no, it was that same day. Same day. Left church, church, God gives him a car. Praise God. God took care of his needs, right? And I'm mad at him because his car's nicer than my car, right? So now I'm like, dang, Shannon, pray with me next week, right? Your car's beautiful. It's got a Hemi, Hemi, he says, all right? Yeah, they can hear it at University of Oregon today. (laughs) You know, Um, God takes care of our needs, right? But in the, in the order of the prayer, it comes third, praying for our welfare. Where most people start, Jesus says, no, it goes down the list. But then the prayer moves on. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts. As we have also forgiven our debtors. And he says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Starts with worship, goes to the will of God, moves into prayer for our own welfare, spiritually and physically. But the prayer ends with the fourth W, warfare. Somebody say warfare. Jesus teaches us to pray with a mind to this, the reality that we are in a spiritual battle. And you'll hear people say, oh, the Christian life is like a war. No, it's not like a war. It is a war. When you, when you take on the, the name of Jesus, when you give your life to Jesus and you go down into the waters of baptism, when you come back up, you are now wearing the team colors of the kingdom of God and all the forces of darkness are now marshaled against you to, to, to attack and destroy you. You are not in like a war, you are in a war, you are in a spiritual battle. And so Jesus says, pray this, Lord, deliver me from evil. Don't let me fall into these tempting traps, these these traps that the enemy has laid for me. Deliver us from evil. It's a prayer of warfare. Our prayer should take into account that we are constantly advancing the kingdom of God and we're being attacked by the enemy. It says in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, for we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. Christians, listen, don't think that you're fighting against flesh and blood enemies. You see that person of a different political affiliation or your neighbor who you're mad at and you think that's my enemy. They're not. Your real enemy is the forces of darkness. It says we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. 
Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will, be, you will still be standing firm. So Jesus says, disciples, listen, everybody gather around. You want to know how to pray? This is how you pray. You start with worship. Then you pray for God's will to be accomplished. God, what do you want to get done? Then you bring God your petitions. You ask for forgiveness and you ask him for the things you need. But it ends with warfare. Our prayer should end with victory to know that our God will deliver us, that he is strong, that his kingdom is advancing. Come on. But let me give you the very most important part of this prayer as we finish today and get ready to close. The very most important part of the prayer is in the very first line of the prayer where Jesus says, this is how you pray, our Father, our Father. Jesus begins with this powerful reality that we begin prayer by recognizing that in Christ, we are part of God's family. See, beyond asking God for things, even worshiping God, even even all the things I just talked about, the four W's, Jesus says where it all starts and where it all comes from, the source of this is recognizing that through Jesus, like we talked about last week, I am not an outsider. I have been brought in by the blood of Jesus. And now I get full refrigerator rights. I get to sit at the family table. Come on, somebody. I get to be a part of God's family. And Jesus says, so when you pray, you don't come and say, magnificent, omnipotent, all-powerful deity that sits upon the seven thrones of heaven. You don't do that. You come and you say, Abba, Papa, Father. All prayer, all effective and, and real prayer, all prayer that connects with God, your communication with God should be rooted in the reality that you are brought into the family of God by the grace of Jesus. We come to God and say, Abba, Father. I read something recently that was interesting. Did you know the very first person to call God Abba in a prayer was Jesus? It's never been recorded in history that anyone called God Abba, which was a term like daddy or papa. Jesus was the very first one to call God Abba because he was bringing in, ushering in this brand new relationship with God that they had strived for for thousands of years that had been torn away by sin. And Jesus said, I'm bringing you back to this place that through what I've done for you at the cross, you are not gonna come and say, God, I come before you and I do my seven bows and I light my seven candles and I spin in circles. No, I come like a child and say, Papa, I'm here to meet with you. I'm here to have a relationship with you. We can come and say, Abba, Father, I come before you as your child. Listen, Romans chapter 8, verse 15. It says, so you've not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father, for his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. Do you want to unlock and see prayer just blossom in your life? Connect with the reality of the gospel that you are saved by grace through faith and you can come before God and say, Dad, I'm here to talk. Dad, I'm here to worship you, to talk about how amazing you are. Lord, Father, I'm here to to hear your heart. What do you want to get done in the world? What do you want to get done in me today? Dad, I pray that you know my needs. You know that I need this. You know I need a car, Dad. You know that that I need to get this loan. Lord, you know that I need to, to make payroll. God, you know my needs. You know that my family were were hurting financially. Lord, you know my needs. And God, you know that I need forgiveness for my sins, but you're my dad. You're my father. See, it's not this thing where it's a transactional relationship. It's a father and a child interacting in a rich and dynamic relationship. And Father, I know that we're in a fight 
but you're gonna, you got my back. Lord, I know that we're in a battle together and, and, and I'm fighting with your kingdom to, to break down the gates of hell and see your kingdom come and your will be done. Lord, lead me not into temptation. Father, you got me. I'm in your hands. Come on, somebody. You have been brought into the family of God. And this is how Jesus teaches us to pray. This morning, if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, I wanna give you an invitation to put your faith and trust in Jesus and to come into God's family and to, and to gain access to call God your Abba, your Papa, your Father. See, a lot of people come to church and they think, oh, I, I have to learn all this theology or I have to learn how to be a good person. I have to get myself all cleaned up. And they see spirituality as this journey and they see salvation as the top of the mountain where I have to climb it and then I get to God. But that's really not the gospel. The gospel is that this, there was a God that loves you so much who literally formed and fashioned you, made you on purpose and for a purpose. You're not just time plus slime plus chance, but you were literally created by the very hand of God. God spoke creation into existence, but he formed you with his hands. And this God loves you so much that he's orchestrated this exact moment. You thought you came here because, oh, I was trying to see a movie and I walked into this weird church and then I felt too weird to leave. You thought you were here because you, saw, you got a mailer or maybe because you saw a TV ad or maybe a friend invited you. But that's not the real reason you're here. The real reason you're here is because the spirit of the living God brought you to this place so that in this moment he could say, did you know that I love you more than anything? And I wanna give you everything I have. And you don't have to climb some ladder or climb some mountain to get to God. God climbed all the steps and all the ladder to come to you in the very lowest point. And the invitation to you is this. Jesus walks by, he says, follow me. And you don't have to understand it all. You don't have to have it all figured out. You definitely don't, and I definitely don't. But what you do need to do is say, I put my faith and trust in what Jesus did for me at the cross. And I'm not gonna trust in my own goodness. I'm not gonna trust in my own ability to earn God's favor. I'm gonna come and say, I need him 100% to rescue me.